Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. My name is Amon Kusro, and I'm joined by my co-host, Zach Cachetta. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing great, and much like today's Warband, I feel like you and I are a storm coven, you know, in a way. We share the etheric powers of Underworlds knowledge or something like that. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> I feel like at the very least, we are like a warband. Yeah, definitely. We're, I'm not sure which warband, but maybe we're our own warband. We're the Path of Glory warband. Heck yeah. The only two-fighter warband in the game. The best part is, is we only need two fighters. <laughs> That's right. And we're still S tier. That's right. That's right. We got some OP surges. <laughs> Speaking of powerful warbands, though, I'm very excited for today's episode because, first of all, thank you so much to Games Workshop, who sent us over preview copy for the upcoming Weird Hollow Box. When you listen to this episode, you're going to know that we got it because this episode will be live. (laughs) And in today's episode, we're going to be covering the order side of the Weird Hollow core box, Domitons Storm Coven. Yeah, this is the three, they're Knight Arcanums, which is a relatively new type of Stormcast that were introduced in the Dominion starter box. I guess that's not new anymore. It's been around a while. When they came out, a lot of people compared them to Curse Breakers because it's three wizard stormcast. I think as we go through this episode, you realize they're they're quite different. They're gonna be they're gonna be a different feel on the battlefield. Though obviously the parallels are sure unavoidable, right? That being said, I do appreciate the symbolism between the two warbands that's shared because I loved Stormsire's Curse Breakers. I think they were one of my most favorite warbands to play, and and certainly a warband that I put a lot of time and effort and energy into. Very fond memories with that warband, and to be able to play with a warband that almost feels like their spiritual successor, but has obviously learned from some of the challenges and perhaps, I dare say, even mistakes that were made with Curse Breakers, I think is very exciting and exhilarating to see, because magic is such an important part of the Warhammer Underworlds universe and Warhammer in general. It has been severely lacking in Underworlds, particularly. And so I'm glad to see that resurgence. Absolutely. And it is cool. I mean, it's been a whole year and a half since we saw a Stormcast Warband. I'm thankful that GW's shown some restraint in in not popping out another one so soon. Yeah, I I do always love Stormcast aesthetics. I collect Stormcast's Mage Sigmar Army. You can see some of the dragons in the background of my camera. And these sculpts look awesome. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about them as we talk about each fighter, but dang, these things are pretty. Beautiful miniatures. Beautiful. I mean, I think the persona that they exude, the dramaticism, the sense of movement, the sense of truly channeling that etheric power is very visible and oozes from those miniatures. And so I find it to be honestly one that is, from a hobbying perspective, I'm actually very excited about these because they do kind of harken to the Space Marine aesthetic that's like simple, flat panels. But you can do a lot Mm. of that. You can do a lot with it. You can mess around with it. And I'm very excited. I haven't, I guess what I'm trying to say is I haven't been this inspired to paint something in a while. And it's the point Mm. where I ordered some additional paints that I didn't have to try out some recipes that I think would work really well with this warband. Ooh, nice. Do you have a paint scheme you've got in mind? Yes. I don't re- believe I remember the Stormcast name, but they're going to be white with the blue. That's Astral Templars, I believe. No, uh, Astral Templars is the the dark like maroon, dark purple one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think it might be Knights Excelsior. I mean, Stormcast. That, that could be it. Yeah, I, as usual, will be painting mine Anvils of the Heldenhammer. That's what mine are all painted as. Nice. I really like the black and gold. 
And I think these guys will look really nice with that too. Yeah. Nice. They're called Nice Excelsior. Nice Excelsior. Yeah. Yeah. Super excited. Yeah. There's a fantastic video by Cult of Paint that talks about that recipe and I'm exactly emulating that. Well, I'm excited to see it when it's done. And I'm excited to work on them as well. Absolutely. So if you didn't get the gist in today's episode, we are going to be discussing Domiton Storm Coven. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're very happy to have you here. And what we kind of do on these type of review podcasts, Warband Reviews, if you will, is we take a look at the Warband holistically and we go through every single card. So we're going to go over the fighter cards, their objective cards, their power deck, which includes their Gambit spells, Gambit cards, and the upgrade deck, and then share our thoughts on the overall playstyle and what we think are good things about the Warband, what we think maybe what are things that are challenging about the Warband, and how we think they'll perform in the overall meta. But we do like to start with a little bit of lore, because I think Zach and I both truly enjoy that aspect of the game. We like to kind of get caught in and, and learn more about what's happening here. So I'm going to read this excerpt from the rulebook, and then Zach would love to hear your thoughts. Sure. Within the hierarchy of Sigmar Stormhosts, the Valedictor Temple is especially mysterious. The Knights Arcanum are its foremost experts in the arcane. They are not only potent battle mages, but it is also their task to scour the realms for arcane knowledge vital to Sigmar's campaigns, or else deal with the threats of a mystical nature should they arise. It is this latter duty that has brought the war wizards of Domiton Storm Coven to the Weird Hollow, seeking to halt the apocalypse of change brewing within the root halls. These stormcasts are bound together not only by oaths, but by the crackling corona of electricity that surrounds them at all times. The mages of the Storm Coven will not be drawn on whether this shroud of fulminating energy is some minor Azerite spirit that has bonded with them or some quirk of reforging that has seen their fates align. What is certain, however, is that when one of the knights Arcanum draws upon the essence of this tempest in miniature, they unlock new and dizzying heights of magical potential. Perhaps some clue to this curious Nimbus's origins lies in the temperament of the Storm Coven's members. For each of the Stormcasts resonate with a different facet of their divine liege. The stoic and deliberate Damitan, known as the Eye of the Storm, represents Sigmar in his aspect of the God-King. He embodies the moment in which the lightning strikes the earth and becomes one with the realms, and his mastery of electrokinesis allows him to extend coils of crackling storm magic to manipulate his surroundings and hurl boulders that then detonate with coruscating fury. Sarpone the Cyclone is Sigmar the Warrior God. Once an evocator within his Sarasant chamber, he is a formidable bladesman, albeit eager to leverage his connection with the storm to bless his companions with warlike strength. Most unpredictable of all is Leona Stratosi, avatar of Sigmar as a raging elemental force. She is a master of summoning lightning and channeling the winds etheric calling upon these arcane zephyrs to speed the holy destruction she and her fellows meet out. You know, the world building here is just so lovely. I mean, we can call Stormcast ground marines or like space marine wannabes all you want, but like this aspect of them as like thunder warriors channeling lightning and shooting it out of their fingers is just it's so cool i love that lightning paladin aesthetic that for me is like 10 out of 10 and i love this little tidbit of lore that it's just like they they share this power and each character uses or each member of the group uses it to a different effect and they all kind of like 
worship Sigmar or represent him in their own ways. And you really do see that on the tabletop. It's cool lore that kind of blends in with gameplay. I really love it when they do that. But yeah, I I, I love this lore. I think this is a, a representation of Stormcast's like demigod beings. A really interesting bit of Stormcast lore is that like there's a lot of stories that portray them as more human. They are far more human than Space Marines are to humans in the 40k universe. At least but initially. At, the same, at least initially, yeah. And then over reforgings and stuff, some of that can go away. But there's also the other aspect to them is that when they are channeling their power, when they are acting as Sigmar's fist, you know, they can be these literal forces of nature. And I love the way the, the writing in this and the prose kind of pushes that on you and makes you feel like they're a, a force to be reckoned with at any level of combat. So I'm just, I love this. This is great. Yeah, it's very exciting. And I think the way that they've defined each member of the warband the triumvirate itself is very cool. It's unique. You know, you have one who obviously is more focused on channeling the raw power of magic by hurling rocks and hurling lightning. Then you have one who like prefers more martial aspects of combat. And then you have one who's like, nah, I'm going all in on the elemental energies that we can summon. It's very cool. It's very exciting. And as Zach has mentioned, you are going to see that in the warband itself. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into the character cards. So I'm going to go ahead and read both the inspired and uninspired sides of the card, and then we'll get Zach to comment, and then discussion will ensue. So we're mm-hmm. going to start with Domiton, Eye of the Storm. He is a level one wizard. He has a movement of three, one block, four wounds. His Valedictor Stave is a range two, two smash, two damage attack, and he has a Azerite Bolt that is range three, two channel, one damage. Domiton inspires when each other friendly fighter is out of action. He also has an ability called Harness the Aether. Reaction. After another friendly fighter's activation, inspire this fighter, then uninspire each other friendly fighter. Now, when Domiton is inspired, he becomes a level 2 wizard. He gains the leader trait. He goes to 5 wounds. His stave goes to 3 damage with cleave. And his Azerite bolt gains grievous and cleave. He also gains an ability called Aether Shock. This is a reaction. You use this after this fighter is inspired. So the moment you inspire Domiton, what he can do is he can stagger each enemy fighter within two hexes of this fighter. And you can only use this ability once per round. Zach, there's a lot to unpack here. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on the Eye of the Storm? So I think first we could just talk about him as a fighter. Melee attack, good. Range 2, 2 hammer, 2 damage is like... We, we talk about this often as kind of like the baseline good attack a lot of fighters have. And it goes to three damage with Cleave when he inspires. Range two, three damage attacks are extremely rare in this game, actually. Like, we haven't seen a lot since older seasons. It's like Scritch has one, the Briar Queen has one, and there's not a whole lot that have it after that. Shooting attack hitting on channels makes it extremely accurate. One of the more accurate baseline attacks and range attacks in the game. It does great gain Grievous, but it doesn't gain damage. We've talked about Grievous being kind of like half a point of damage, especially once you have two dice. You can get more dice later as well. So as a fighter, I mean, four wounds or five wounds, really solid attacks, both, you know, range two and range three, level one or two wizard, like all that is just good in general. I think what's the biggest talking point about this warband is the inspiration effect, because this Harness the Aether reaction is on all the fighters. This is them passing around the magic of the storm. So when one fighter goes, you can choose another fighter to react and become inspired, and then the other one stop being inspired. So you're just going to be passing around your inspiration side. You can't have more than one inspired at a time, 
but you do kind of have some control over it. But it's also not like a surprise thing, right? You can't just be like, all right, this guy's going to go and they're going to inspire right now. You have to kind of plan it out. You have to think about who you want to be inspired in the next activation to do stuff. So it's a very cool mechanic. I really like this this is very unique amongst every warband we've seen. And I think we'll have to, to get the full picture, we'll have to look at the inspired side of everyone else's cards. But for right now, Domitan, keep getting him inspired and keeping him inspired will not feel bad. Three damage with a good, very accurate shooting attack, or three damage on the melee attack, very accurate shooting attack. He's good. He's awesome. Yeah, I think he's a good fighter. I want to talk a little bit more about the inspiration. So mm-hmm. what I really like about it is, as you mentioned, it's channeling the ether channeling the nimbus of cloud and electric energy that's surrounding and inhibits perhaps even the three fighters that shared experience and it's really cool that one they're like okay you channel it you do your thing and then we all channel it i get to do my thing so on and so forth very cool mechanic what i also really like about the inspire mechanic is that because harness the ether's reaction revolves after another friendly fighter's activation the inspire really allows you to not be punished if your other friendly fighters are taken out of action because you can always at least inspire your fighter and have them fully embrace that corona of electric energy. One thing that I do want to note about Domiton is he's the only one that inspires to five wounds, and that is a blessing and a curse. You know, mm-hmm. the large rule can offer two bounty when the fighter's taken out of action. And so I think in that regard, yes, maybe you are heavily incentivized to inspire Domiton because he becomes a monster when it comes to his range to attack with cleave and three damage. But the downside is he's only on one block. He's got five wounds. He's most likely going to have to eat whatever's thrown at him. You know, assuming that it hits very rarely, will he actually block it? And so the fascinating question arises is that, do you just take wounds to protect Domiton? Because he's already a large fighter. At that point, mm-hmm. are you going to take cards, perhaps a nemesis or championship that allow you to get him to tank a couple more attacks? Yeah, it is a good question. And when it comes to the inspiration is going to be really interesting because you do kind of want to pass it around. And like, but like you said, large gives your opponent two glory. So maybe you don't keep him inspired. Maybe you just, you know, shock inspire him for one really good activation and then uninspire him. So when he does eventually die, he's not giving away that extra glory. It is definitely worth looking out for. And there's a lot of upgrades that also can't be applied to large fighters. So you do have to be kind of aware of what you put on him because if you give him, you know, there's like a healing one, I believe, in Fearsome Fortress. It's like, can't give this to a large fighter. And then if he inspires, that would just break. So there's a lot going into that. But five, I guess compared to other options that we'll see on other fighters, Five plus one wound is not actually a massive, especially one that goes away, goes away, so to speak, when you uninspire, is not a massive defensive buff because one, it's just one wound, and two, it doesn't stick around. So it's, I I don't think you rely on the five wounds. I think you're mostly looking for his damage output and then hopefully allowing him to die when he's uninspired. I think those are fair points. I think another thing that I want to discuss is also the fact that he's a level one wizard and inspires to level two, but it has nothing to do with his magical attack. So if you listen to the last episode, we did mention that the way magical attacks this edition have changed. Usually they revolved around the level of the wizard, but now they have their own. Some of them have their own attack characteristic, which I think is very useful and doesn't really punish you for having to go from level one to level two, depending on who's inspired. What I do really like about that, though, is that any fighter can cast a spell, 
but you're probably going to want to have that level two wizard cast the spell mm-hmm. because they have the higher opportunity to successfully cast. But it's cool. It's nice to have. I think there's some balance there. It's exciting. And I really like that Domiton is an awesome fighter. And I think he's very well balanced. And the mechanics mm-hmm. that we've discussed already are are super exciting when you consider the Warband as a whole. Yeah, I agree on all fronts. The only thing I think is a little underwhelming is his Aether Shock, the stagger all enemies within two when he inspires. I think often you're going to rush forward with another fighter, inspire him, but there won't necessarily be anyone near him when he inspires because he's not the active fighter at that time. So I don't know how often Aether Shock is going to come up, but you know when you do get it off, you stagger during his inspiration and then your opponent gets a turn and then Domitan will maybe be able to follow up on whoever he staggered as part of his ne- next activation the next turn. So, But it is kind of, I think, the weakest part of his loadout. Yeah, but it's free. So, But it's free, true. You know, I think a free stagger can only be a boon in, in most situations, especially because, as we've seen from most games, I've, at least that I've played, the game ends up devolving into a scrum in the middle of the board. And at that point, the staggering each enemy fighter within two hexes, you're mostly, you're likely to get at least one because you're fighting at range two and that's where you want to like kind of live anyways. But yeah, it's, it's cool. I like it. And even if it doesn't work again, it's free. So like, yeah, there's no downside to it. It's just not as exciting as the other parts. Yeah, that's fair. Let's move on to Leona Stratosi. So she is a level one wizard and she has the flying trait. She has a movement of four because she can fly one block, four wounds, she has the Valedictor's Bident, which is a range 2, 2 smash, 2 damage attack, and an Azerite Bolt, which is range 3, 2 focus, 1 damage. Same Inspire as Domiton, same Harness the Aether reaction. When Stratosi is inspired, she gains the Leader trait. She goes to 2 block. Her Azerite Bolt stays pretty much at 2 focus. They just didn't put the 2 there because she's a level 2 wizard. And she has an ability called Russian Gales. Plus one move to friendly fighters, and friendly fighters have the flying trait. Also worth note that on the inspired side, her Azerite Bolt is base damage 2. So she actually has a quite good shooting attack. I just realized when you said it that this faction doesn't actually start out with a leader. None of them are leaders on the uninspired side. It's just whoever's inspired is the leader for the warband. Some interesting connotations there for upgrades. Didn't really think about that. That is uh, interesting because if a upgrade is leader-specific... Mm-hmm. and you are no longer the leader. It, I believe it breaks. It breaks. It does break. So you can kind of mess with your opponent. Like if they put a bunch of damage on Domitan Inspired, and they ha- you think they have a you know kill an enemy leader surge, you can just make someone else the leader, and then they have to go fight that person instead. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway, I think Leona might actually be my favorite fighter. Right off the bat, just on the front side, four wounds, four move, fly, range two, two hammer, two damage. That's basically the stat line of Drepper. You know, she doesn't have the two dodge and her inspired range two attack isn't as good. But like, we all know how good Drepper is. We all know how good range two with fly and good movement is. So she's a variable ranged threat. And then when you get her inspired, she's on two block. She has a range three, two damage attack. Those are all extremely good things, especially when you fly in your move four. She feels like the most variable threat just because she has the positioning advantage. She has the guaranteed two damage on range three. She doesn't have to fish for a crit like Domitan or Sarpon have to. Her range two attack isn't as good because it's, it just remains the same. But like like I said, she feels like the variable threat. She's more flexible. She's not as all in on the melee attack. She 
has that capability to use the range three attack as a, as a serious threat and reposition aggressively. So I think she's great. She's my personal favorite. She's certainly very good. Russian Gales is quite compelling, though I think the efficacy of it isn't as interesting as it might be in another warband, because unless you choose not to harness the Aether, you're only going to really benefit from it one time. Mm-hmm. Now, it may it might be a scenario in which you choose not to harness the Aether, which I think has an interesting thought process that you can follow through. Flying is just a nice to have. I don't know if it's like that cool, but I like it. But I think effectively bumping everybody up to four move is very exciting. What I find really interesting about Leona, and you made this comparison to Drepper. I think she's more like a Sire Hackfell. Sure. But she's like someone that I would love to activate after I've activated the other two because she's got that range three, two damage attack when she's when she's inspired, which is pretty compelling. What I also really like about Stormcast Warbands with the new charge and attack changes from the previous season is that now you effectively can attack four times with your three-man Stormcast Warband, which has always been one of their cons. Mm-hmm. And every fighter being range two and range three is exhilarating on that front. Yeah, you're basically always going to get four attacks. And, the, and it could it is kind of an interesting thing, like you're going to make three charges, and then who do you leave inspired for the the charge? You know, the everyone has charged, you know, free attack at the end. And I think Leona is an excellent pick because she does have... She is damaged two at both ranges, but then maybe you want that three damage on one of the other guys. We'll see in a second that Sarpon also has some damage spikes. So I think it's going to be, it's a warband that requires planning. You know, what am I going to do in the next activation? What do I expect my opponent to do? So where am I going to send the brain cell this turn? Yeah, I agree. I think one of the, and I'm probably going to say this a lot over the course of this episode, but I think what really excites me about this warband is the fact that you really have to figure out what your activation order is well in advance and plan for it. But not only that, your opponent has to predict what your activation order might be and try to reduce your game plan and your efficacy, which I think is such an interesting mini game within the game itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited because there are going to be games where Leona is doing most of my heavy lifting. There are going to be games where Sarpon, which we'll get to in a moment, who'll do a lot of my heavy lifting. And I think it's fun to be able to have those strategies, but also be forced to adapt when your opponent correctly counters one of your strategies or hinders it early on. Like, that's so interesting Mm. to me, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that sort of mini game within the game, like you called it, is an exciting part of Underworlds. And this Warband really leans into it. I do have one kind of nitpicky rules question. I always end up with nitpicky rules questions when we do these things. Russian Gale says, plus one move to friendly fighters and friendly fighters at the flying trait. Does it affect herself? It doesn't say other friendly fighters. So does she become move five when she's inspired? I think it does. I think so. I think it does. So move five with fly is pretty good. Move five with fly is pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, it still doesn't boost her damage in any way, but it does allow you to You know, you get a great strength on her. Maybe you get a ping damage spell or other ping damage gambit. And she can backline dive pretty effectively. So that's that's very cool. Yes, that's very potent and something that certainly have to be aware of. So then we just got one more Stormcast. Sarpon the Cyclone starts out as a level one wizard. Harness the Aether inspires the same. Range three, one block, four wounds. He has a Stormbound Weapons, which is range two, three smash, two damage, and an Azerite Bolt, which is range three, two channel, one damage. When he inspires, he goes to two block. His Stormbound Weapons get Scouring, 
which means plus one damage while the target is adjacent. And an Azerite Bolt goes to Grievous One, similar to Domiton. And while Domitons gets Cleave, he gets Ensnare, which is fairly interesting. He has a reaction called Aether Force. Use this after this fighter is inspired. Choose one friendly fighter. Push the chosen fighter one hex. You can only use his ability once per round. Scary. I mean, range two, three hammer, two damage is very good. Now that's a little bit more evocative of Drepper without the reroll, but still, we all know how accurate and good that attack is. And plus one damage while a target is adjacent. Scouring my brain, so to speak, the only three hammer, three damage attack I can think of is Hrothgorn. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the only one in the game. Now, granted, you have to be inspired. Right. And so you sure. only you'll telegraph the inspire. But that is like that telegraph is like, hey, I'm going to come murder somebody. Yeah. And that, that's cool. No, it's amazing. And this is and Sarpon's my favorite for those reasons alone. Mm-hmm. When I was playing a lot of Headcrack as Mad Mob recently, Wallop was my favorite fighter because he could just do three damage when fighting against a fighter that is four wounds or more. Sarpon's even better because he just gets it against it doesn't matter who it is. There is no limitation except for the target being adjacent, which again, I find to be a very interesting decision point because the benefit of having a range two weapon is the fact that you can engage without necessarily being engaged. Scouring does potentially change that, but is it worth it? I probably in almost every situation, I think it is worth it. Yeah, I mean, it effectively gives him three attacks, right? It's like the range one attack for high damage, the range two attack for flexibility, and the range three attack for less damage, but even more safety. So he's very flexible in his combat potential. And then put two block on top of that. And it's really interesting. I mean, you know, they all these fighters are immediately inspired and stay inspired when they are the last fighter on the board. And I think either... Unfortunately, I feel like Domitan might be the weakest to be the last one alive. I mean, he does have a baseline three damage attack at range two, which is really scary. And he is a very accurate shooting attack. But like, I feel like either Stratosi or Sarpon, inspired being your last one on the board, is like, oh, you've left this one alive. You are in deep trouble now because they are going to be absolutely violent against you. And Sarpon in particular can probably solo teams by himself if the dice go his way. I think any of them could solo team by themselves, to be honest. Probably, yeah. You know, because Domiton is just doing three damage when he's inspired with Cleave. Yeah. And this is without any damage upgrades or improvements, right? And and this again, this is so interesting because they can all do something different. Domiton's got Cleave, Sarpon's got Ensnare. So Tosi mm-hmm. can move a lot, you know, and then her range attacks are the hardest to land because she hits on focus, but they do two damage. Whereas the other guys have Grievous one, so they can crit into it, but they have channels, right? Like there's just subtle differences between all three that make them so well designed. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating. And I really like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I love the little differences. It it also allows you to exhibit a little bit of like personal style, right? Like which fighter you lean into is going to be on you. The way you play, you Amon, that is, play this is probably going to be different from the way I play this warband because we're going to we're each going to think of a different fighter as the one we want to focus on and the ones that we're going to apply in X situation or protect in Y situation. And so I think two very good players piloting this warband are not going to look the same. And I think that's like the mark of a well-designed warband. So I think this is just it, already we haven't even talked about like the power deck or the objective deck, and I'm already in love with this warband. They're great. Yeah. Probably one of the most exciting and compelling warbands that I've come across. 
in Underworlds, period. But also just having the sheer amount of interest in the Warband before even getting to their deck. Mm -hmm. It's really incredible. Speaking of which, I think we should jump over to the objective deck. But before we do so, Zach, as per usual fashion, Mm -hmm. which fighter is your favorite? I think you've already answered this. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be Leona. I think she's just I like mobility. I like positional play and I like ranged attacks. And she is just she's aces at it all. And I think you already answered as well. But uh, let's do it for posterity. Yes, Sarpan. He's the man. He is everything that I like in a fighter. He's tough. He can dish out a ton of damage. There are decision trees that you have to make throughout the course of the game. And he gives you a lot of those options, whether it's his Aether Force reaction, the scouring ability, or the delineation between his two ranged attacks, right? And quite possibly being range one when you need it to get that boost of damage. It's fascinating. And while I do enjoy five wounds on Domiton, that one block is just not cutting it for me. Yeah, in in. It'll depend on the type of opponent you're facing and what type of damage profiles they have. If a warband is heavily into two damage stuff, five wounds can feel very difficult to overcome. Though if they have any amount of three damage, you know, it's not as good and you might be looking for the two blocks. So I think there's reasons to consider both defensively. But yeah, I definitely agree. In most 99% of situations, I think two block four wounds is better than one block five wounds. Agreed. Well, Zach, let's jump to the objectives. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with Channel the Storm. This is a surge. Score this immediately after the second or subsequent friendly fighter became inspired in the same round for one glory. The first thing I want to point out is that the ode to the Curse Breakers is not lost on me. Their most iconic card that at one point was featured on the Forsaken and Restricted list was called Harness the Storm. And we have a very <laughs> subtle... But similar name, subtly changed, but similar name, Channel the Storm, which I love that. What I also really like about this card is this is also a very easy card to score like Harness the Storm was. <laughs> it is it is all but guaranteed. Yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. It's, it's not guaranteed once you're down to one fighter, then it becomes impossible to score. Good but, thing uh, I can aggressively mulligan every game. Yep, <laughs> a pretty good card. Um, yeah, I think... I think it, there's not much to say other than you're going to put this in every deck. So good times. Let's jump to Conduit of the Heavens. This is another surge. Score this immediately after your Warbank casts their fourth or subsequent spell in the same round for two glory surge. This card I find fascinating for a couple of reasons. Anytime you see a surge that's two glory, it makes you want to really think. The reason this was making me think in particular is because the sheer accuracy behind the fighter's ranged magical attacks sure they're a little on the weaker side but you know 50 percent of the time in theory you should be able to crit right when your attack is actually successful so i think this is actually a card that you can certainly score fairly reliably especially given the magic support in the power deck yeah we're, we're gonna talk about the gamuts available in this deck and there are many good gambit spells in this deck so I guess the downside of Conduit of the Heavens is often with Sarpon and Domitan, you're going to want to be using their non-magic melee attack, their range two attacks, which are three damage or more accurate with a three smash. And in those situations, you know, you're reducing the amount of chances you get to score this. But I think if it's in your hand, you're going to you're going to make that distinction. And with two glory, it's usually worth taking the slightly worse attack to get two glory and then just kill him next turn. Yeah, like if there's a scenario in which I have two Gambit spells in my hand 
and I have this mm-hmm. card as well, I'm going to make two magic attacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I believe it's the most accurate attack. Baseline. The channel is the most accurate dice face. So two dice on channel, I believe, is relatively equivalent to three dice on hammers, except for the crit amount. It's a little bit like hammers to fury, but in the other direction. But yeah, it's Domitan should be hitting most of the time. Yeah. There's only two focus on the dice and a, and a crit, whereas the mm-hmm. channel is there's three channels, and then you have the opportunity opportunity to crit as well. And you're rolling two yeah. dice. Yeah. And we'll see there's actually support for either more dice or re-rolls later on. Or, so. or innates. Yes. there There's ways to make it extremely reliable. And because of that, I, I also agree Condo to the Heavens is at least worth a consideration. I don't think it's a gimme. It's not like you're going to score this every time it's in your hand, but you will score more often than not. I think it's enough of a consistent card to where I would risk taking it. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's probably one of the better two glory surges we've seen in a very long time. Agreed. Hmm. So we're going to go to Eye of the Hurricane. This is dual. Score this in an end phase if the same friendly fighter made four or more different actions in the preceding action phase and that fighter is in no one's or enemy territory to glory. This is really interesting because towards the end of the game, this is a pretty solid card. You got one fighter left, you know, you can kind of go for it. But at that point, your best bet is probably just trying to kill everything because you'll probably get more than two glory. The same friendly fighter making four or more different actions is tough. I guess you could go on guard, attack, charge. and It, it doesn't charge give you three it, this, there there's quite there's another card i think it's in eastbound assault where this question has come up doesn't charge count as three because charge counts as an action but then the move and the attack also count as actions so can't you just guard charge and score this i don't know if that's the intent but i think that is technically how that works has that been faq'd i haven't seen one about it yeah so if the card works in the way that i believe is rules as written Mm-hmm. which is the interpretation you're referencing, then this is a very good card to score. I believe that it should not be scored that way because rules as intended, I think they're trying to certainly do something else. Mm-hmm. But technically, yes, you could charge with a fighter and then you're still, you're knocking out three of those actions, but you still, that fourth one is still, it has to be different, right? Yeah, it still has to be either guard so have or to barge guard and or, then charge or, or stun. Or, you know, barge or stun and then charge. Well, you couldn't barge and then charge, so you have to. Yeah. To me, it almost feels like a change of tactics at that point, if that's the case. Just go on guard and then charge somebody, and there's your four. And then be alive in enemy territory or no man's land at the end of the turn. Yeah, I mean... Very easy if, to if do that with Leona. If that's rules as written, I mean, it's probably an auto-include, but the way that I believe it's intended and the way you, I think you said you believe it's intended, I don't know, is it worth two at that point if the same fighter has to make three different or four different actions no it's certainly not yeah i think if i'm playing rivals or nemesis rivals you don't have a choice but nemesis it could be worth it if you know if you know you're going into a meta that's pretty brawly mm-hmm. and you tend to just end the game with one fighter alive but if it just works the way as people currently may believe it to work it's a pretty busted two glory end phase card leads us to fulminating bulwark dual score this in an end phase if two or more friendly fighters are adjacent to each other and each of those fighters is within two hexes of enemy territory, one glory. I think this is solid one glory end phase card. Fairly easy to do. I don't necessarily think that it's super predictable. I mean, I'm sure your opponent might try to stop it, but for one glory, it may not be worth their effort. And again, it's going to happen quite organically. It's it's not bad. 
Do I like it enough to put it in all of my decks? I'm not really sure because I prefer two glory cards. And mm. honestly, in Nemesis and Championship, there are probably one glory and face cards that are easier to score. But for a card that requires two fighters being next to each other, it's not too bad. Yeah, because that's all it really requires. And adjacency, when you have good range on all your fighters, is it's not hard. We've got Heavenly Alignment. This is Surge and Duel. Score this immediately after a casting roll for a friendly fighter's spell attack action that contained two or more magic dice, and each of the magic dice in the casting roll showed a different symbol, one glory. This is so simple and so easy to score that... It doesn't even have to be successful. No. It's one of those cards where you're like, why does this exist? Because it's so good. But hey, if you're going to play this warband, don't complain. Just take it. Enjoy it. It'll happen eventually. Though much like... It reminds me a lot of Steady Aim, which is the Thunderx Profiteer one that says make an attack action that only shows successes, also doesn't have to be successful. Every time that card's in my hand, I'm like hit miss or like two hits and a miss if I have three dice. I feel like this is going to be the same thing where it's just like I'm hitting all my attacks and I'm like hit critting and it's great, but I can't score this freaking card. If you hit crit that's with a good this, problem you score it. If you hit crit with this, you score it. Oh, that's true. That's true, actually. So yeah, it's a pretty good card. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> it's very silly. second auto score surge that we've seen so far so pretty good might give some people some pause or like negative flashbacks to the curse breaker play style well i mean at least this is an attack action and the other ones are probably attack action so it's like it's you're not sitting in a corner casting spells but you are also just kind of like going up doing things and scoring for for playing the game which is a little concerning. Yeah, the interesting thing is that the magic attacks are the weakest part of their kit. Mm-hmm. At least uninspired. And then with Leona inspired, it's pretty decent. It's res- it's just average. It's respectable. So you might sacrifice potential damage output for glory. But for a game that revolves around getting the most glory, I don't think it's a bad of a trade. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Let's see if this one's any different. Heaven Sent Surge Duel. Score this immediately after a friendly fighter casts a spell. And that fighter is holding an objective in no one's or enemy's territory, one glory. Another very simple, easy to score card that can be scored in the power phase, as well as just through a charge action. I love it. Give me more of these very easy, simple to score cards. At the very minimum, this one does have counterplay. I mean, one, it has to be successful cast. And two, once your opponent knows that this is like an an auto score for you, they can like set up to try to deny it or like stand on the objective to try to deny it. I mean, if Leona... I'm just saying there's something. If Leona's moving five, can they? <laughs> moving five with fly? She is, yeah, it, it's a little hard. Yeah. <laughs> Threat of eight. Seems good. Seems very good. Uh, so another very good surge. Knights Triumphant. Duel, score this in an end phase. If each surviving friendly fighter made the harness the aether reaction in the preceding action phase. So they all did. They all shared the brain cell. And there are two or more surviving friendly fighters in enemy and or no one's territory to glory. This is very interesting because the first part you're thinking like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. The second part is a little tougher because two of the fighters do start with three wounds. It's hard to get everybody into no man's land slash enemy territory. Even well, Sarkhan you know. also has the push, which helps. Mm. And you only need two or more. So if one of them's stuck in your territory, it's still scorable. Yeah, and you can deny a knockback with the Serapon. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I think it's also good. Again, I mean, board setup, choke points, could deny it, but still still worth putting in the deck, I think. Channel the channel the ether, baby. 
Knights Victorious. Dual score this in an end phase if your warband holds one or more objectives in enemy territory and one or more enemy fighters were taken out of action by a damage dealt by a spell in the preceding action phase to glory. I like this one. There's obviously some surge energy by wanting to be on an objective, potentially in enemy territory. There are also other cards in this objective deck that incentivize you to be in enemy territory. So you're probably going to be in enemy territory, at least in the nemesis and rivals front. Being able to finish off a fighter by damage dealt by a spell is very interesting because it doesn't have to be a spell attack action. So it can be either one, which is kind of exciting. And I like it. Yeah. And there's, well, well, we'll look at some of the Gambit spells that may or may not assist this down the line. I also like this card. Knights Arcanum. Score this in the end phase. If one or more inspired friendly fighters are each holding an objective in enemy territory to glory. Again, all you really need is one fighter on an objective in enemy territory that is inspired. And you're good to go. And guess who's really good in getting in enemy territory when they're inspired? Leona. The the girl who's on the cover art for this card. Yeah. It's almost as if the artist read the card. I would like to think so. So, very good card for T-Glory. Scouring Arcs. Score this immediately after an enemy fighter is taken out of action by damage dealt by a spell, one glory. Again, you compare this with Knights Victorious and you're killing two birds with one stone. And you couple that with Knight's Arcanum, and you're getting two, four, six glory with the kill. It's pretty nutty, the synergy. Yeah. Again, like you said, for the most part, the ranged attacks, the spell attack actions, are the weakest damage-dealing parts of those kits. So you are kind of sacrificing the potential for those three damage hits, the very accurate hits from Sarpon, the range two, three damage from Damatan. But even then... (laughs) But it's worth it. It's worth it. Do I kill one of your fighters or do I get six glory? You tell me. Yeah. Yeah. It seems all right. (laughs) Tempest Fury is next. Surge. Score this immediately after the third or subsequent move action made by friendly fighters in the same phase. Charge three times. To be fair, this becomes a lot more difficult when you lose a fighter. Yeah, for sure. you You can still score it by doing double move, but like if you're down a fighter and you're spending two actions just moving, it feels pretty bad. And to be fair, like if you have a fighter on an objective in enemy territory, mm-hmm. it could put you in an awkward position. But at that point, hopefully you can just get to another objective in enemy territory. Yeah, depending on how they're set up. Yeah. So it is maybe the weakest of the surges, but like this is a good surge objectively. Yes. I mean, even for other three man warbands, if you put this in any other three man warband, you'd be like auto take. Mm-hmm. We're only saying it's not as good because the other surges are extremely good. Yes. And then finally, we have Thunderstruck. Score this in an end phase. If three or more enemy fighters each have one or more wound counters and or are out of action for one glory. Yeah, this is maybe the only card where I'm just like, I don't care for it. You know, if you've taken three fighters out of action, this is a win more card. And while I appreciate the idea of dealing ping damage through the magical attacks, again, it's not really incentivizing you because a lot of the cards here are asking you to finish off a fighter. Through a spell attack action or a gambit spell. So it last and the least, but who cares? Because the other 11 cards are great. <laughs> and, and by the least, I mean, this is like a B tier card still. The other ones are just a little bit higher. So that's the end of it. Holistically, Aman, what do you think about this deck? Do you think the devs of Warhammer Underworlds have gotten better at creating rivals decks that are playable out of the box? 100%. In fact, yes. this might be a bit too playable. This might play itself. <laughs> <laughs> this might be, I mean, 
The Warband is harder to play. So I'm going to make a comparison to Gnarl Spirit Pack because they're kind of the boogeyman in the game right now. And Hexbane also kind of boogeyman the game. They, I think, are they though? They, well, Mad Mob's also pretty I boogeyman. I think Exile Dead that. is about to be the boogeyman with Beastbound Assault. That, that too. But I, you know, when we, I remember our episode, we looked at Gnarl Spirit Pack and we were like, wow, this Warband's really scary. And then we read the objectives and we were like, wow, these objectives are really good. I think Storm Coven is harder to play than something like Gnarl Spirit Pack, just the way their mechanics of their faction work. But I think the objective deck might actually be stronger. Agreed. Gnarl Spirit for me is a warband that I feel like has a tendency to let players perform better than they do on average because the warband functions so well by just charging four times. Like make as many attacks as you can and you if you hit at least half of them, you probably win the game, right? And that could mm-hmm. be Underworlds in general to a certain extent. Sure. With this particular warband, and I think we've mentioned this a couple times, is that you really have to decide on who and when you're inspiring certain fighters, which order, who do you prioritize, who do you not? Is it worth killing a fighter with your magic attack in order to score a ton of glory? Or is it worth killing it or making the same attack action with your range two attacks because they're significantly more accurate and you can remove a threat from the game? I mean, there's so many different things that you're thinking about. And I love this warband, A, for the aesthetic and the theme and the magic, but B, also because it's decision points. I've always said on this podcast for years now, it's crazy I can say years, but it's, it's I think we're going on, I think we're in year four right now, is the more decision points a warband offers you in a game, the more interesting it is to me and the more it will benefit the better player. There's more skill expression, right? Exactly. Skill expression. That's a great way to phrase it. Yeah, I and I, I agree 100%. I think this is a warband that... I like what you said about... I like the way you phrase it for Gnarl Spirit. It allow, Gnarl Spirit allows people to play kind of above their skill level. You know, it, I don't like lumping people in and be like, you're a bad player, you're an unskilled player. That's not but what like, I'm saying. You know, like, you can still be yeah, a no, good no, player. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I get what you're saying. But I think this is one where it's like, I don't think you can pick up Storm Coven for the first time and, you know, rock a six round tournament. I think if you're a brand new player and you pick them up, you will not perform as well as somebody who has been playing the game for a long time and understands the mechanics and nuances of the game. And I think that's good for the game. I worry that their ceiling might be a bit too high. Once you do get good with them and just the power level of this objective deck, we haven't even talked about the power deck. The power level of the objective deck alone is like, once you get good with this warband, you're just going to to the moon, baby. Like, it's going to be very scary. Yeah, I mean, just from the, the fighter cards and the objective deck itself, this warband is going to be one of the best warbands in Rivals and Nemesis. Probably in Championship as well. They'll probably get hit in the Forsaken and Restricted list. But at this point, at least in North America, no one's really playing Championship because all the major events are Nemesis format. So. Correct. Yeah. I think, well, I can appreciate Games Workshop's decision to really strengthen the synergy here. It just makes it harder for older warbands to compete because they lack the focused deck design that this warband clearly has. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we see reprints in the future and maybe this is just the power level going forward and future warbands will kind of follow the same structure. We do still have one other Weird Hollow warband to talk about in the next episode, obviously. So we'll see where that goes. For now, though, I think we can move on to the rest of the cards and see what the rest of the deck looks like, right? Yeah, though I do think that I'd like to know your favorite objective card. Oh, yes, absolutely. God, there's so many good cards. It's very easy to take some of the really, really good ones. I like Conduit of the Heavens 
This is the two glory for casting four spells. I like it because even though it is extremely good, like we talked about, I do think it forces those kind of interesting attack decisions that we talked about, you know, choosing to make the range attacks over the melee attacks, choosing to, you know, maybe if you have a bunch of gambit spells, but you don't have Conduit of the Heavens in your hand, maybe you are holding those gambit spells until you get Conduit of the Heavens so you can kind of line up all these power phase spells to try to cast this and then, you know, get more chances at it. Like, I think it is extremely strong, but it requires you to make good decision making to get the best use out of it. That's why I like Conduit of the Heavens. I agree. I really like that card as well. For simplicity's sake, I do appreciate Heavenly Alignment. I always love when you can score a card by not having to make a successful attack action. Yes. Yeah, Heavenly Alignment. Fantastic card. I would agree. Big fan. Well, now we go to the Gambit deck. We'll start with Aura of Power. And by the way, Hooded Stormcast hit different. Dude, it's true. Zandires, Truth Seekers, already were doing it for me. These ones, continuing the trend. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I don't know why you'd ever wear a hood with a helmet, but I love it. Because it's cool, Amon. That's right. Like the new Lion Miniature for 40k, if I decide to buy him, which I'm not sure yet. Well, you can't right now. He sold out. But eventually when he comes back, I might do the helmet with the hood just because like, dude. I, I kind of like the helmet with the, the giant wings. Yeah. They're just like comically tall. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Helmets and hoods. It's good stuff. It just might be. I just love Assassin's Creed. That could be it. Oh, yeah. It's very evocative of that, huh? Yeah. Going back to the card. Aura of Power. Choose an enemy fighter that is adjacent to one or more friendly fighters. Stagger the chosen fighter. It's all right. We talked about how much stagger is an okay mechanic. I mean, this is like one of the more controllable uses of stagger we've seen in a long time, but I don't know if it's worth the card slot. It's fine, though. It is fine. It's interesting because it says specifically adjacent, and this warband is chock full of fighters with range two and range three attack actions. So it's really interesting because you're either setting up for like a nice Sarapon, Sarpon attack, which is fine because getting that three smash re-rollable can be pretty tight. But at that point, I feel like we're stretching use cases. Like it's a decent card. And if someone attacks you, you know, damage you, doesn't drive you back or fails to hit you, making it better to counterattack is interesting because you could stagger with the fighter that they missed. And then the other one of your other fighters can try to attack, therefore not only getting a reroll, but getting a support as well. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the biggest use case is somebody else is adjacent to a target, either, you know, failed charge or something like that. And then you're going to activate Domitan Inspired next. And then Domitan inspires only two smash. You stagger them with the adjacent fighter. Now it's two smash with support and a reroll, which is way more, way, way, way more effective. So I, I think there are use cases for it. And I think in, I mean, rivals are required to take it. You'll find uses for it. You might consider it in Nemesis just because how some of the power decks are. But yeah, it is worth noting. I actually did look at this while we were talking. Weird Hollow rules did change in the Gnarl Wood rulebook, I believe stagger tokens only affect attack dice. Now stagger tokens affect attack roll or casting rolls. So stagger tokens will affect your magic attacks. I'm glad for that delineation. Yes. The next card is Azerite Halo. This is a gambit spell. The casting roll is a one focus. If cast, minus one dice from enemy attack actions to a minimum of one made by enemy fighters adjacent to this fighter, this effect persists until the end of the round. It's good but not great the effect is like what is that sanguine pearl i think is like this um, there's a number of upgrades that are like this it's very rare to see it on a power card one focus on two 
dice, if it is your inspired fighter, is 75% chance to cast. That's pretty good. It is a chance to fail, and if you get it off, it's only adjacent. So if you're facing something like a Wraith Creepers or something like that, obviously it loses some efficacy. I think it's good, like, against a lot of warbands in a lot of situations, that minus one dice is going to be absolutely killer. And then sometimes it's just going to be like, you're either going to fail or they're going to be like a range two warband, and it's not going to be as good. So I think it's still worth putting in the deck, especially because it's a gambit spell you can cast to power a lot of your objectives, which is great. You know, channel the storm, all that good stuff, but it's okay. Yeah, I like it, actually. What I realized when I was playing at Adapticon was whenever my opponent played a card like this, it actually really hurts in these limited formats. Because let's say two smash, range one, three damage, like a Kagura sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. But she has to be adjacent. So then she attacks. And now I'd say one smash, three damage attack. Like it's significantly less likely to succeed. And I kind of like that because it makes three fury attacks turn into two fury attacks. And two fury attacks aren't very good unless you're Gristlewell, right? Oh, yeah. And Gristlewell, who, as we all know, crits 100% of the time, except when he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that a lot of the time this is going to be extremely strong. I just think it will be a semi-dead card more often than other cards you might put in the Gambit deck. But it is probably going to go into all my decks anyway, because as long as there's a number of range... I mean, (laughs) think about how bonkers this card is against Exile Dead. It turns all the zombies into one dice. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, and through sheer weight of dice, like that will eventually maybe not matter. But it's still good, right? And then you potentially have this on a fighter that's two block on an objective yeah. token that you don't want to get knocked off. It's pretty decent. It's very good, yeah. Yeah, it's overall good. Okay, well, Blaze of the Heavens is the next card. Gambit spell that casts on a focus. If cast, choose one enemy fighter within X hexes of the caster, where X is three plus the number of other friendly wizards within two hexes of the caster, deal one damage to the chosen fighter. That's a good card. Hey. I don't know what else to say other than, hey, ping spells have always been extremely good. And here's a ping spell that goes off most of the time and you can make it range five sometimes. And that's good. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know what more to say than that. Even if you're casting this with a one of your uninspired fighters, like you desperately need to get somebody and they're too far away from your inspired fighter. That's a 50 50 to just get a ping off. That's really good. But you're not. You're always going to have it. You're always going to use this with your level two fighter because you're you'll always have someone inspired. That's the thing with this warband is outside of your first activation of this game. You are always, always, always going to have a level two wizard on the battlefield unless you have zero fighters, period. I mean, in the situation where your inspired fighters over here and you're trying to get a guy over here and then your uninspired fighters here and it's like, well, then you might try to cast it with that guy. The absolute worst case scenario is it's a dice off. It's, you know, it's a, a coin flip. Yeah. That's and fair. that's pretty darn good. That's very good. Yeah, really good card. Goes in every single deck. Might be the first card you put into your power deck. Might be the first card you put in your deck, period. Before you even put fighter cards in your deck. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. Right? It's it's crazy. It's good. Who said Ping was dead? Actually, I don't think anyone said that lately. But yeah. Hey, I, imagine this with Daring Delvers. I know we're just kind of, we're not really talking about too deep into Nemesis interactions, but I'm like, Daring Delvers has two good Ping cards and Flame Whispers better when it's a wizard. And now you have this. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about some of the other cards in here that are also ping cards. Yeah, Daring Delver's Storm Coven is going to be interesting. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, this is a going to be a challenge, I think. <laughs> yes. 
Next card is Celestial Blades, another Gambit spell. This one casts on a channel. If cast, choose a friendly fighter. You can reroll one dice in that fighter's attack rolls. This effect persists until the end of the round. The second card you put in your deck? I mean, Awakened Weapon that it's casts incredible. eight out of nine times if you're casting on two dice, which you do every time because it doesn't have a range requirement on it, so you just pick a fighter. God, it's so good. So good. Yeah, I just rolled two magic dice just to see I got two channel. I'm chilling. One channel on two dice is eight out of nine chance to go off. It is extremely unlikely to fail. To be fair, my first ever Grand Clash at Depticon 2019, I lost because I couldn't roll a channel on Abathsoth's Unmaking, which mm. would have won me the game against a objective-based Thorns of the Briar Queen warband that needed specifically to score off of certain objectives. And I went for Abathsoth's Unmaking every single game out of the three games we played. And I didn't cast it a single time over three games because I kept rolling double focus each time. That is the thing about Gambit spells is like there is the chance of failure, right? Like unlike most Gambit ploys in the game, there are some Gambit ploys that are dice. You usually don't take the Gambit ploys that are dice unless the effect is good enough. And that's just what Gambit spells are. And sometimes the dice will fail you. Sometimes you'll double crit and deal a damage to yourself. <laughs> and sometimes that backlash will kill you. But yes, it, it is an extremely good effect. I mean... We all know how good rerolls are. It's rerolls for the whole round. The The wild thing is this effect, this sort of like reroll dice or like pseudo determined effort effect would normally be just the next attack or like until that fighter makes an attack. But this is for the rest of the round. So, hey, it's round three and you've killed two of my fighters. I'm just going to cast Celestial Blades on myself. And the one fighter who's going to make four attacks this round by himself is just going to get the reroll for all four attacks. And that's very, very powerful. Well, it's also really interesting because you can game the dice, right? This can help you score Heavenly Alignment. Let's say you roll two successes or or whatever, like you roll a magic dice because it says attack. It doesn't specifically say, you know. Mm -hmm. So well, it says attack, right? So you make a spell attack action. You roll two channels. You can reroll one of those successes to try to get a failure or a crit to get Heavenly Alignment. It's pretty incredible. It's very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, on to another Gambit spell, Howling Gales. This one casts on a focus. If cast, choose two enemy fighters in the same territory. Push each chosen fighter up to one hex to the other chosen fighter. If the chosen fighters are now adjacent, stagger the chosen fighters. It's a, it is a good card. It's double distraction, which is very good. It's not quite Howling Vortex, if you remember that from Thorns of the Briar Queen. But it is still really, it's still a double distraction, which doesn't even need line of sight, I don't think. It might need line of sight per the gamut spell rules, but whatever. Either way, just kind of a rangeless enemy push is very rare in the game nowadays. Rangeless push two enemies is extremely powerful. There's the downside where if your opponent is like a Tooth and Claw or Daring Delvers, they're just going to run across the line and you can't use this anymore because they have to be in enemy territory to cast it. I think that's still worth an inclusion in the deck. So yes, it's a good card. Yeah, it's, it's a solid, solid card. I mean, double... Pseudo distraction is great. Again, you kind of have to. It's a it's a controlled distraction because you do have to push the fighters in a certain direction. But it's cool. I like it. It's a very powerful card. Can screw up some scoring. And if if hold, if hold objective makes a comeback in any way, like we kind of don't have it now, but at least in the Nemesis format, there's not really any of the decks support it. But if there is a deck in the future that is like, hey, you want to hold two objectives in your territory, this is the anti card for that, and it will absolutely screw up those games yeah it's true i mean it can also like if you have two fighters in no man's land right in no mm -hmm. one's territory and you pull them towards each other that can jump them off objectives too so 
Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's it's pretty chill. Next one is Lightning Tether. Gambit spell, channel, reaction. Play this after this fighter's successful spell attack action. After the drive back step, if cast, deal one damage to each fighter, each enemy fighter adjacent to the target. It's fine. I mean, yes, there is that world where like, you punch a zombie, it goes back into a mass of other exiled dead zombies, and you just like nuke a bunch of them for one damage. That's like the dream. But against most warbands, sometimes this won't even be playable because you're just not going to have anybody to knock them back into. I think usually you'll get some use out of it, but I don't think it's like the most exciting ping damage card we've ever seen. Yeah, it's not necessarily the most exciting ping damage card, but I think if the meta ever evolves into a situation where warbands like Exile Dead, Kanan's Reapers start to become very popular and strong. This is really nice because you can make it a lot easier to finish off a majority of their fighters just through gambits alone, right? Yeah. We talked about pairing this warband with Daring Delvers. You get this off, and this is after a successful spell attack action. So let's say you ping for one, and then you push them back into, let's say, three other fighters. Let's say they're all zombies. Now they're all on one damage. Then I can play Flameless. Then I can, you know... Quick Roots, one of the other ones when Quick it moves. Quick Roots, when it moves, and then I can, you know, cast my spell, which is mm-hmm. Blaze of the Heavens, and you just lost three fighters. Yeah, there's... It is good, like you said, the, if the meta supports it, and those are the fighters we see, it's going to be a really strong card, but we'll see if it goes that way. Right now, you know, it's a lot of three, four, maybe five fighter warbands doing brawly stuff in the middle of the board, and then, because it is kind of a mid-board scrum, sometimes you'll get solid use out of this, but I don't know, I think there's better gambits to put in the deck at the moment. I could be wrong on that, though. I could be underestimating it. No, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's a very situationally great card and very situationally mediocre card. And then maybe even very situationally not relevant. The next one is Pass the Mantle. Choose a friendly fighter. The chosen fighter is inspired. Then uninspire each other friendly fighter. I like this card a lot. Now, you don't need it because you do inspire like you like you can plan to not need this card but it does give you flexibility there is the case of it is turn one you have this in your opening hand and you're going second this allows your first activation to be with an inspired fighter instead of an uninspired fighter that's great you can go with fighter a inspire fighter b and then your opponent finds some way to mitigate fighter b with like you know a debuff or give them a move token or something like that and then you could just pass the mantle to fighter c and now fighter C is inspired and fighter A is already charged and fighter B is, you know, kind of debuffed or mitigated in some capacity. It does kind of let you play around that. It lets you maybe jump the mantle to somebody else to cast a spell. If you desperately need to cast with a different fighter than the ones who's inspired, cast a gambit spell. You can dictate who has the the level two wizard. So it's a really good card. I think it's I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's very fun design with how the warband works. I think the applications in which you mentioned it do make it worthy of consideration. Mm-hmm. I agree that this is a card that you could probably cut and not miss its presence. What I do like about it is that it offers you an additional layer of flexibility. And you've mentioned a couple examples, which I really like. I mean, maybe you inspire a fighter who needs to be on two block to deny some sort of enemy scoring. And then right before your turn, you know, in the power step, you inspire the other fighter, maybe with more offensive output that necessarily wasn't in harm's way. And then from there, you can go do your thing. And then there is that reaction that when a fighter is inspired, they can maybe do something. So in that example, oh, true, yeah, Sarpon can maybe get an additional push before his turn, right? It's granted if he has not used the push already. So 
It's it nice. allows you to do it when you need to to get it out. It, yeah, and that that's actually true with Sarpon, where like maybe it's a last activation. It's you know it's about to be end phase. Your opponent pushed you off an objective. You pass the mantle to Sarpon, and he push. You know he sidesteps. Yeah, it's potential sidestep on a stick, mm-hmm. which is compelling. Yeah, I think it's good. Pillar of Lightning is the next card. Gambit spell, one channel. If cast, pick a feature token within four hexes of this fighter. Enemy fighters treat the hex that feature token is in as a lethal hex in addition to other hex types. This effect persists until the end of the round or this gambit deals damage to an enemy fighter. What I find interesting about in addition to other hex types is that it counts as everything. Yeah, it could count as basically anything. And it is feature token, so if it's a cover, right? Like they either flipped an objective or they placed down a cover as part of Fearsome Fortress or Daring Delvers, you can make a cover hex lethal. But not not to you is the interesting thing. It's only to enemies. Enemy fighters treat it as lethal hexes. I think this is a really good card. You know, unlike the Blaze of Heavens, the direct damage spell... This does require setup, right? Because you got to push somebody into it or like knock them back into it or they just have to walk into it by their own volition if they're being silly. <clears throat> but it is another pink card. It's much more reliable to cast the decks that do want to hold objectives like Daring Delvers and Fearsome Fortress, which we just mentioned. Fearsome Fortress in particular, there's only so many tokens on that No Man's Land or within one hex of No Man's Land line. <coughs> Excuse me. That... They need to be on all of them. And if you can turn one of those feature tokens that they need to be on into a lethal, it's it's effectively a guaranteed ping against Fearsome Fortress decks. So yeah, this, I think this is a really good card. It again has synergies with Daring Delvers as a deck because, surprise, surprise, Sudden Demise also scores off of enemies being pushed into lethal hexes, and this will score that. So yeah, this is a good card. It is the third instance of a ping card that we have seen so far. And that is terrifying, or pseudo-ping, at least. Yeah, ping-adjacent, for sure. I agree, Zach. It's a very interesting and, and good card. Mm-hmm. Positive charge. Plus one dice to the range. Plus one dice to the first range one or range two attack action made by a friendly fighter in the next activation step. In addition, plus one move to the first charge super action made by an inspired friendly fighter in the next activation step. It's determined effort plus. No, this is great. Plus one dice, yeah. especially in Nemesis and Rivals. Awesome. Plus one move might not be needed, but it's certainly a nice to have because it just makes that threat range go from five and six to six and seven, right? Yeah, I think it's especially nice on Sarpon because you, you will often want to get that adjacency for the three damage. Yeah. And just giving him the extra move makes that way easier. And it makes him four dice for that, which I mean, you're you're nuking whatever three or less wound fighter you want to look at, which is great. Yeah, I really like that really like that example you provided actually the next card is actually the last power card in this deck is called thundershock it's a gambit spell that casts on a focus if cast choose an enemy fighter adjacent to the caster deal one damage to the chosen fighter and minus one damage from the chosen fighter's attack actions to a minimum of one this effect persists until the chosen fighter is taken out of action or at the end of the round it's the fourth ping card we've seen well three well i don't count pillar of lightning sure it's the third and a half pink card we've seen. Sure. I suppose, technically, the downside for this card is that because it has to be adjacent, usually you'll charge with an inspired fighter, hit somebody, and then send the inspiration to somebody immediately afterwards. 
And then the one who's adjacent is no longer inspired. So there are only one dice for this. So I guess that's kind of the downside, but a lot of times, but like if you need that one damage ping to kill somebody, you know, hit somebody with three damage Sarpon, ping them for the fourth damage, or you really want the minus one damage from this and then use the ping to set up a kill. Like this is a very good card. It is another, it is another one damage ping. Yes, it is shorter range, but it also comes with this insane debuff that lasts for the whole turn. Like, yeah, it incentivizes you to use this card earlier on rather than finishing a fighter off. So I think I like the idea of it being something that can be used early or as a finisher. But ultimately, like, finish a fighter off, deal a damage. Yeah. Removing fighters from the game without giving them the opportunity to roll defense dice is very powerful. Oh, yeah, for sure. As we all know, ping damage is nutty. Yeah, Daring Delvers and Storm Coven, match made in heaven, quite literally. Yeah, it, it match made in the realm of Azir. That's right. Zach, kind of an embarrassment of riches here, but which card's your favorite? I'm going to take the high road, and I'm not going to pick a ping card. Proud of you? <laughs> I think I like Celestial Blades. I like that it's easy to cast, and I like that it just makes you more reliable. It helps you do what you want to do without being completely overpowered like all the pink cards. I agree. In the spirit of proper discussion, I will not ping a ping damage card myself. I will go with Azerite Halo. I like the idea of reducing the amount of dice that the opponent can throw at you. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, Azerite Halo and the last card we just went over, Thundershock, Thundershock both do the same thing, which you can actually debilitate two enemy fighters in an opposing warband, which can be pretty detrimental or make a fighter that usually hits on three dice drop down to one. Well, no, Thundershock is minus one damage, not minus one dice. Which is even better. That's even better. Jesus. So that's all the gambits, mostly spells, ploys. So to round out the power deck, we can look at the upgrades associated here as well. And we'll start with the Blades of Azir. The fighter's range to attack actions are range three and have stagger. Starting off extremely strong here. This is an incredible card that is very unique, but I never really thought that they would actually go through with this because while the fighters already have the range available with range three, the trade-off, as we've discussed throughout the course of this podcast, is that those attacks are generally weaker and less reliable. Now what you're doing is you're taking away that liability by giving those fighters the level of consistency at range three that we perhaps have never seen before. I mean, at this point, you can have range three, three damage attacks. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, that's usually unheard of without some very specific upgrades. I had I had the cursed thought, pun not intended, I had the cursed thought that you would take Cursed Boarding Pike and this upgrade at the same time and have a range 3, 4 Fury attack. <laughs> I don't think you should do that. Anyone who's listening, don't, don't do that. That's mean. You, you would be a bad person. I'm pretty happy with range 3, 3 smash, 2 damage, or range 3, 2 smash, 3 damage. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no need to, but I'm just saying you could if you wanted to, to be silly. Yeah, I agree that this is an amazing card. A lot of the cards revolve around spells and spell attack actions, so sometimes you may end up wanting to use those range 3 spells instead of the more reliable ones, but this just makes it so that when you're not really caring about casting spells, you just have the range to do whatever you feel like. It's really, really good. It's very good. Let's see if the next one's as good. Charged Weapons. This fighter's range 1 and range 2 attack actions, other than spell attack actions, have Grievous one if this fighter has cast one or more spells in this round. It's not bad, right? I think Grievous is something that's quite 
variable. But with a fighter, potentially that's rolling three smash at range two, it's pretty decent because you're going to get that crit fairly likely. Three smash potentially with a reroll with that one gambit spell. That's true. At that point, you're just Drepper. Yeah, then, then you're Drepper kind of plus. Yeah, so pretty good. Yeah, I agree. It's good. I mean, Grievous, it's a little, it's a lot more set up for Grievous than we've seen in the past. A lot of times this would just be like, you have Grievous on your attacks, but... I get the idea that they're trying to try new things and, and make the cards to be a bit more interesting and, and candidly even more powerful. And Grievous makes sense with this warband because the whole idea of that like lightning-based attacks can mm. have the potential to spike by doing more damage by electrocuting you. So it's cool. One more thing I wanted to add about the card previous to this, which is Blades of Azir, is it makes it to where if you're ever in a situation where you have the last man standing and you this allows you to be more reckless with your charge because you're going to have incredible threat output at range three. You know, charge into a bunch of enemies. You're like, oh, boohoo, I don't really get to use my range two attack action that much. Psych. <laughs> Surprise, range three, three damage. Yeah, that blade's still very good. Charge weapons, also pretty solid. Not as good, but I, I think still quite good. Yeah. This next one is different. So this is Electrified Grasp. This is a spell attack action. It is range one. It is focus wizard level. So either one or two, depending on if you're uninspired or inspired. It is only one damage, but it is cleave and snare and stagger. I like the theme of the card. I think it makes sense. It's probably one of those cards that's thrown in for candidly the sake of theme. I don't necessarily think you need it. I guess the only thing I would say is that it is a short ranged attack that can score all your other stuff. So if you are thinking of running like a great strength or great strength equivalent that won't affect your arranged magic spells, it will affect this. It's not really like, I agree, it's probably not very good. It's probably just there for theme, but like I could see the use for it where it's like, hey, I want to get adjacent to you and get a attack through and this has cleaving and snare and I just need to get a successful spell cast and it's going to be more reliable than my shooting attack. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching a little bit. I don't know if it is because it's based off wizard level. Everyone's wizard one unless they're inspired. So you're going to roll a one dice focus attack. No, I'm saying like if it, if you have like, if you need to cast one more I know, but, successful spell, but why, why would I, you try to cast a one focus attack? Right. I'm saying you do it with your inspired. Sure. Deck. But then at that point you have like seven gambit spells in the deck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's not required. I'm just like I'm I'm fishing for oh, a use what case. the use case sure. is. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And and that's like the only one I can really think of. Yeah. No, I definitely think you can leave this at home for sure. Yeah. And then there is Electrokinesis. This is an attack action, not a spell attack action. Range three, three fury, one damage, knockback two. Reaction during this attack action after the drive back step, stagger each enemy fighter within one hex of the target. Restricted Domitan. Yeah, this is interesting. This is kind of the idea that Domitan is hurling rocks at people through the power of lightning. And it's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. The range three, three fury, one damage, knockback two seems okay. I like that they're providing options. Unfortunately, this option isn't better than his straight up range three attack action, which is. When inspired, two channel range three grievous with cleave. Yeah, I mean, if it was better than his his on card attack, I might be interested in it. But it is it's just not cool. So let's just move on. Uh, Herald of the storm. This is plus one move 
reaction after an activation step in which this fighter made a successful spell attack action, remove one of this fighter's charge tokens, then give this fighter one move token. What do you think about that? It's it's okay. I don't know. I mean, I think like charge tokens aren't as punishing as they used to be. So it's like you can't charge again, right? Okay, but eh. I think the more common use case for this is going to be you still have two or three fighters alive, and then you charge forward, succeed with your spell attack action, now you've moved, and then rather than inspiring one of your other fighters, you just keep that one fighter inspired forward and keep shooting or attacking with that one, right? I think the idea is that you are going to, instead of charging fighter A and then that fighter can't do anything until fighter B and C both charge. You're going to charge fighter A, remove, flip the charge token to a move token, and then you don't necessarily have to go with B and C. You can just go with fighter A again in the next activation. I don't know mm. how often that niche use is going to come up, but that is the kind of the use case scenario I see for this. Yeah, I kind of agree. I agree. I think the moment I can switch this card out, I probably will, though. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... It's one that I'm like, I could find use cases for it if I have to take it in a deck. But I think it, once you start hitting Nemesis or Championship, it'll probably get replaced. Agreed. Let's see the next one. Lightning Lash. Reaction. After a spell cast by this fighter that dealt damage to an enemy fighter, push that enemy fighter one hex. Yeah, I really think this is fairly fascinating because this allows you another form of control when it comes to repositioning enemy fighters. A lot of decks nowadays want you to be in a particular part of the map, whether it's on a feature token, on an objective token, in no man's territory, outside of your territory, in enemy territory. And Mm -hmm. this can allow you in a pinch, especially when you're more familiar with what your opponent can or cannot do and what cards they're scoring and relying their strategy on, can allow you to, obviously, great, get a ping across the board, but then also displace them, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, in effect, it gives all you... It gives your range spell attack action knock back one because that is still a spell cast by the fighter so you can do pushing shenanigans with that but it also basically makes blaze of the heavens if you don't kill somebody with the ping you can push them and that's pretty good yeah i mean it's really cool with spinning tether like imagine lightning tethering into a bunch of zombies and then displacing them so that the next daintelos action has to be a move rather than attack right yeah or even like potentially displacing dentalos himself Mm mm-hmm and getting like some shenanigans off on him. Yeah, there, I think there's some use case for this. It, it is a fun little utility upgrade. I like it. Master of Ancient Lore. Reaction. Use this after an opponent plays a power card. Draw a power card. Or draw two power cards if that power card they played was a gambit spell. This can only be used once per round. I'm just confused, <laughs> Zach. I'm just confused on why these cards are so good. To be fair, we the upgrades have not been like, other than the very first one, the ranged one. They've been okay. And then you see this one, and you're like, oh man, that's a good upgrade. Yeah, let me just make my power deck more consistent, which is full of spells that let me do all the craziest stuff in the world. Thanks, mom and dad. So at minimum, you're getting a draw off this. Most of the time, you're going to equip it at like end of round one, sometime in round two, probably get two draws off of it. Sometimes you're going to play it in round one and get three draws off of it. Yeah. So you're not Seems pretty you're good. not really going to see the Gambit spell stuff happen a lot unless FLM's Pandemonium is very popular or, you know, an older warband becomes... Or the Mirror Match. Sure, sure. So, yeah, you have the potential to draw six cards over the game, but at baseline and more likely three, 
which is pretty potent. You combine that with the new salvage mechanic, and you're just you're going to get through your whole deck whenever you want. Well, are these guys really going to be salvaging? You can't salvage the gambit spells unless all your guys are dead. And the only one that we've seen so far that's restricted is the Domitan ranged attack, which you're not going to probably bring anyway. So I don't think these guys are going to be salvaging that much. Sure, but you know, maybe maybe you can't. Maybe. But still, yes, extremely consistent. You're going to see a lot of your deck. I mean, it's, it is for the most part a upgrade version of Duel of Wits, and that's really scary because Duel of Wits is a very good card. Well, Duel of Wits you can only use once. This can you can use up to three times, right? That's why it's so scary. Right, but if you're just getting the one draw off of it, Duel of Wits is draw two, which means if you get this off twice, it's Duel of Wits effectively. If you get it off three times or there's Gambit spells involved, it's like Duel of Wits and a half. But yeah, <laughs> it's a good card regardless. Mm-hmm. Crown of Storms is the next one. You can reroll one dice in this fighter's casting rolls. Yeah, I think we all knew this one was coming. Great card. They love to mm-hmm. cast spells. They like to make attack actions that are spells. Enjoy it. It's good. Yeah, no, nothing else to say. I mean, if you can't see why this card is good, you need to play more Warhammer Underworlds. The Liber Fulminis is the next one. Plus one range to this fighter's range two plus spell attack actions, bringing your baseline attacks to four. It's pretty nutty. I don't know if it's that relevant in the grand scheme of things. Range three and range two are kind of the bubble you want to live in. I like the idea that this can give you that extra bit of reach, but Leona is affording you that by herself. In addition to that, you know, once you're in the thick of it, you're fine. Yeah, I mean, I agree, especially because a lot of the cards in here want you to go into enemy territory anyway. You are closing the distance already. So I don't see much reason to prefer this but it is a cool effect and then we have the last upgrade the final upgrade is called scrolls of the spell seeker when this fighter attempts to cast a spell change each symbol in the casting value of that spell to channel yeah it's really interesting man because in conjunction with domaton it's very powerful because you're always going to hit but you're never going to crit yes you're always getting double hit which is in and of itself pretty good but there's a good chance you're getting double hit anyway, just on rolling the dice, mm-hmm. right? So, which is why I don't know if it's that compelling. The more interesting conversation surrounds itself around the gambit spells. But very cleverly designed, most gambit spells are focus. The only one that is channel that I can think of off the top of my head is Celestial Blades, which is a, still a very good card. I think Lightning Tether is also a channel. Lightning Tether, Celestial Blades, and Pillar of Lightning, which is the turn it into a lethal. Yeah, so like... I don't know. I mean, you can you can make an argument to put this on Domitan and then expect him to cast those spells and then they'll automatically cast, which is like kind of OK. And, you know, we do have a in the preview article today, we saw that one of the the seismic shock deck is magic focused. We saw some spells out of there. So depending on the gambit cards that come out of there, gambit spells that come out of there, maybe you take them with that deck and then this helps you power some of those gambit spells but i agree you lose out on grievous and while grievous is not guaranteed on two dice losing the chance of it entirely is i don't know it's questionable yeah it's interesting i think the stock of this card certainly increases when it's paired with other rivals decks and other cards in the championship format that have spells that require channels otherwise meh yeah so that's it for upgrades not as (laughs) Not as like completely over the top as the 
Gambit cards were, but uh, do you have a favorite out of this set? Yeah, just a comment on the not the not as I guess potent as the other two decks. That's fair, but as long as your objective or upgrade or power deck has at least three to four good cards, you're fine. And they've got oh, I agree. they've got yeah. three great upgrades. Yeah. And which one are you going to pick as your favorite? I want to pick Master of Ancient Lore. I mean, <laughs> it's more resources. It's incredible. Um, do, you, do you think drawing cards is good? Do I think drawing cards is good in a game that revolves around the resources you can play from the card deck that you draw? Hmm. hmm let's think about that one for a second. For real. <laughs> it's a good pick. I, I would definitely agree. What about you, Zach? I like to keep it simple. I like Crown of Storms. Rerolls. Rerolls are just consistent. I mean, it's casting rolls and not spell attack actions. So all of those one focus gambit spells that, that do ping damage that you want to cast that are 75% suddenly become 82.5%. If I'm doing my math right, I don't know math off the top of my head. Yes, they become way more reliable. And that's good. You know, I think I ultimately think that being better at casting your spells in this warband is good. Mm-hmm. That's fair. It's really interesting because the upgrade deck as a whole is more utility based, but you can yeah. you can also tell that they just threw in some, they threw the theme of the warband. You know, every warband has like cards. You're like, I see why they threw this in there because it makes sense thematically, but like, I wish it was better. Cough, cough, loon court, cough, cough. Yeah. And those cards are here for the most part. Again, you have some pretty solid, solid upgrades. Yeah. I think you're going to be fine. Oh yeah, for sure. I will say so the one thing about this upgrade deck is that generally speaking, the upgrade deck is where a lot of your defenses come from. That's where a lot of your minus dice cards, your plus wounds, your healing, your you know reroll defense dice cards, those types of things, they usually live in your upgrade deck, and there's none of that. The only defensive card we see is there's two debuffs on Gambit spells, which are both really good, obviously, minus dice in a adjacent aura and minus one damage uh, to somebody that you ping. Both of those are great, but they're not always on like upgrades are. Yeah. And they can fail on like, you know, just equipping an upgrade. So I think if the team does have a downside, it's that you have the defenses that are printed on the card and that's it. And I think that's necessary. Otherwise, this warband would just be busted. I agree. I think it's that's kind of the saving grace for the balance of this warband. They can be killed very quickly. Yeah, and you have to be aggressive with them. That's kind of their entire MO, is to get into enemy territory and cast a bunch of spells and and hit people. And so in the process, you're going to get hit back. So I think that does, like, we can look at all these crazy effects, but, like, in a game of aggro versus aggro, there will be games where, like, somebody just runs up and nukes two of your knight's arcanum in round one with some, you know, good attacks and shenaniganry. And I think that's probably... If they have a downside, that's probably their downside. No, it's, it's baked in, right? And the fact that only one fighter can be inspired. So when Domiton is inspired, all your fighters are on one block. And then when you know Leona and Sarpon are, you get one fighter two on of two. Two fighters are on one block. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, it's not hard to get through that. It's like the same problem that you have when you fight against warbands like Crushes. Like, yeah, they're hard to kill, but you hit them twice and they die anyways, right? Yeah, or any uninspired other Stormcast. Yeah, it's... And that's what makes them fair. Like they've got good cars, they've got good stats, they've got good abilities, they've got good synergy. But the best way sometimes to win the game of Underworld is to just kill the fighters. <laughs> just hat up and go murder somebody. And they're going to make it easy on you because they're going to try to run at you too. Oh yeah, for sure. But that's kind of like holistically. So 
top to bottom, we've talked about all the different cards. Is this a warband you think you're going to end up playing them on? It's really interesting because I really like Magic. I really like Stormcast. I, I'm at a point where I don't necessarily want to play something that I think is a bit too strong casually, right? And most of my games at this point are fairly casual outside of the tournaments I go to. Yeah. But if I wanted to go like win a local or like if I end up going to some other event outside of the US Open this year, this is a very viable option. I would agree so. <laughs> now, I think the last thing that I want to talk about before we close out here is I think we've mentioned Daring Delvers a lot. And I think it's very clear that this is a deck that functions very well with Daring Delvers. But outside of the two new Rivals decks, because we're going to have episodes on those decks that we'll talk through, what are the existing Rivals decks that you see, Zach, that could potentially work well with the Storm Coven? I think Delvers is kind of the obvious choice just due to the ping. But because they are a three-man aggro warband that wants to go towards enemies, they do work with Tooth and Claw. I mean, that is that is well within the MO. You can make these guys savage. They don't really get anything from plus dice or the plus damage cards, which is what a lot of people use out of Tooth and Claw. But you can supplement their already really good objective deck, replace those few mediocre objective cards with the sort of Tooth and Claw cards you're going to score all the time, like all your fighters are savage or like kill somebody with a savage fighter. You know, just you can make your already... 9 out of 12 really good cards into 12 out of 12 really good cards in your objective deck just with Tooth and Claw alone. I don't think they do very well with Fearsome Fortress. I mean, they don't really just want to stand on objectives. If they do, they want to stand on ones in enemy territory. And usually with an offset, that leaves exactly one spot for you to put that objective, which is pretty limiting. I don't think they're going to use Peace Bound Assault. I, they probably don't really care about using Illusory Might. So yeah, I would say Daring Delvers number one, Tooth and Claw number two. And then when we get to Toxic Terrors and Seismic Shock, we will kind of review those and talk about how the new warbands work with them. Agreed. Yeah, I think Tooth and Claw is a good shout. I certainly think that that functions. I think Tooth and Claw almost works with everyone. Now the more and more I think about it. I wonder, Illusory Might. No, it's really interesting that the older Rivals X are starting to show their age a bit. Illusory Might is... Let me pull it up because... The thing that always jumps out to me about Illusory Might is the it's about illusion cards. There's really good illusion weapons. These guys don't need the illusion weapons. There are some good cards in here from an objective standpoint. Like, this is where Horrors in the Dark is. So you can just kind of like move forward into cover hexes or, or objectives that are in enemy territory, which is kind of what you want to do anyway. You know, there's False Apotheosis, kill enemies with upgrades. Like, if you really want another two-glory surge and you want to be super greedy in your surge deck... There's some choices in here, but I don't think it's worth losing out on the stuff that's in the other decks. And then, of course, there's Deadly Depths, and that one is just bad. Never play Deadly Depths with any Warband. Interesting. So then, yeah, it seems like the power level of Tooth and Claw continues to prevail at this point in the game because they're just the go-to for most Warbands out here. Obviously, we still have two Rivals decks yet to be dissected, but again, we're purposefully avoiding that conversation because we want to have that conversation on that podcast right cool well i think that's going to do it for the fairly deep dive into domiton storm coven they're a warband that has a lot of great synergy a lot of great character a lot of cool mechanics some strong objectives some strong fighters some really cool spell synergy that could one could argue is very strong and yeah they have some weaknesses namely wanting to be aggressive not having the defense and health to support that 
prolonged engagement, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, it's Underworlds. And if you can roll early and roll well, you can definitely succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash path of glory. You can find all of our blog content on path And if you have any feedback, questions or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or discord at path of glory podcast. And, you know, please give us a five-star rating, you know, really appreciate that. It helps spread the awareness of the podcast on your podcast of choice. So iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen, we'd really appreciate it. And as always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. Mm-hmm.